What's up, y'all? I'm Jake. And my name is Carl. And you're listening to Do You Even Lift Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. Thank you for tuning in. We deeply appreciate it. Today, we're going to talk about and try to answer what is healthy masculinities anyway. How are you, Carl? I'm pretty good. I'm a little tired coming off uh, the fall break. It's just uh, trying to get back into the grind. So Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was hard getting up today. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So what comes to mind when you say the words healthy masculinity? Um, you know, actually, I have a lot of trouble answering this particular question, both from like a very theoretical standpoint and a practical standpoint. When I think about healthy masculinity and try to do it, it gets really difficult to actually like label my behavior as masculine opposed to feminine. And so from both a theoretical and practical standpoint, then it becomes difficult to like really understand what healthy masculinity is. How about you, Jake? Yeah. Um, it is kind of hard to pinpoint, I think, one particular answer. But I kind of think about like how I was raised to be a man and and how and it's even hard for me, I think, sometimes to label those experiences slash uh, behaviors that I was taught were necessarily unhealthy or healthy or toxic. Hmm. Um, so some, I mean, I think there's sometimes I can label them as like, yeah, that's a that's a good thing for I think a man should think about or do. But then also there's sometimes I'm like, I, I I don't know where that lands, but I also understand that there's harmful implications with some of the behaviors that I've been taught. Yeah, right. Um, and I think about my past and my dad was never really afraid to cry, if you will. Like I've seen my dad cry a bunch of times and I know that there's a ton of men out there that I've never seen their dad cry. Um, hopefully fewer and fewer as we go forward. But I would label that, I suppose, like a healthy expression of masculinity on his part. But I don't know how that's different from anybody crying. You know, the times that he cried were like over the death of his mother and something related to Notre Dame football, which is like <laughs> kind of ridiculous, but also one of the fewer anti-masculine expressions. Like it's like my dad crying is counter to this message that even he would perpetrate of like toughen up and don't cry. And so sort of being faced with that contradiction somewhere in that contradiction lies like a healthy expression of masculinity. Right. And I'm also thinking about what's the, I guess, appropriate times to cry as a man. Yeah. Like how are we socialized to cry at appropriate times if we can? Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm actually really thinking about, uh, but in terms of crying and this might be different now. Um, but there was a time when I attended a memorial service of a fraternity dude, specifically from a Latino fraternity who had killed himself. And I was really struck by the way men cried at that. Like it was, well, so I was struck by how, who was crying. Like the women who were crying were sort of standing and silent. They looked very used to this process of crying and mourning and loss versus the men who cried cried it was as if they couldn't hold back anymore so it exploded out in this like cries of pain and there was even some level of hesitancy to like sort of embrace and hold each other through it and um again this is where i bump up against like do i really want the men to be crying more like the women and is that an expression of healthy masculinity or is that just a human expression right and so i do think when currently in culture this phrase of toxic masculinity pops up a lot and maybe it's just in higher education but i hear constantly all the time yeah these men on these floor exhibit toxic masculinity yeah these dudes are 
toxic masculinity example exemplified. So I don't, it seems like we're having some trouble defining healthy masculinity. So maybe it'll help to start with problematic masculinity and work backwards from there. Would you care to define toxic masculinity? I have, I have a meaning, but I want to know yours. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. I mean, toxic masculinity are behaviors that are twofold. One, it causes either subtle but mostly overt harm to everyone around the people who are exhibiting toxic behaviors. Toxic meaning like it's very it's poisonous, right? It's like comes from the inside and it really kind of rots and hurts and creates pain. When you add masculinity at the end of toxic, then I think of traditionally masculine behaviors. And so when we go back to the man box, that's a lot of like posturing. That's a lot of one-upping. That's a lot of violence. That's a lot of using feminized terms to put people down. That's a lot of talking behind the backs of women, especially. That's a lot of sexualization and objectification of women's bodies. That's um, maybe overt consumption of porn, sexual harassment, catcalling. <laughs> you know, like I'm pretty sure I could keep going. Yeah, for sure. Because I think of toxic masculinity as I feel like some people throw it out there. They might or might not understand like the root of where it's coming from. Okay. Like for me, I, I've recognized that some of my toxic masculinity is from all the men that I've been around with. And I think especially aspect of toxic masculinity for me and the meaning of it for me is men basically denying the behaviors that are deemed toxic or I think denying or minimalizing it. Yeah. Minimalizing or denying or being guilty, like feeling guilt for it rather than like changing it. Okay. Um, So I'm thinking about like men are either kind of complacent and are complicit with mm. what's going on. Okay. So there's an element of like overtness and damage to community that happens with toxic masculinity. And yeah. then an element of invisibility that happens to, by the people who are performing it, right? Like right. there's a lot of, Oh, you're being oversensitive. That's PC. That's social justice warrior bullshit. The level of toxic masculinity, if you will, is so normalized. Like it's literally normal for mm-hmm. men to behave this way at this point. Yeah. And that's what I guess I was trying to get at. When I think about very toxic masculine behaviors, I go back to the man box and there are a lot of problematic things in there, but there are also words like confidence or leader or funny. I wonder if toxic masculinity then is sort of an extreme expression of some of the less toxic words in the man box, right? Because there's words like violence. There's words like heterosexual, like aggressively heterosexual. There's words like alcoholic that might pop up in the man box. Obviously that's toxic behavior. But when we go to like overconfidence to the point of arrogance or funny as in using rape jokes or leader as in interrupting or a brand of leadership that is like overshadowing and overtaking other people. Those are sort of the very common behaviors that I hear being described as toxic masculinity. And it stems very much from what we're taught about what it means to be a man and that man box. And so one of the phrases that pops up often in toxic masculine environments is things like man up or grow some balls or don't be a put, don't be a fat, don't be a woman. Yeah, a girl. Don't be a girl. There's this. Uh, his name is Guante, and he ha- he's a slam poet slash rapper, and he has a poem. It's uh, ten phrases to the words "man up," and he really, I think, responds well to how I guess we think about masculinity and how we are socialized and how we are taught these behaviors so early, and how he kind of breaks those down. It's really an awesome resource for you all to check out. What it brings up for me is. The way that toxic masculinity is described is very much in opposition to femininity. Like toxic masculinity uses femininity as a weapon 
And the only way that I can be used as a weapon is if being feminine is bad, right? And so it makes me think about this question, which was posed on this dope website called The Body Is Not An Apology by Jenny Crofton. They ask, can masculinity be defined without it being opposed to femininity? And I was just like, I, I, I don't know. Like, can it? Like, I I like immediately texted you or something, Jake, when I heard this question. I was like, we have to talk about this because it might be at the sort of the core of what we're trying to do in terms of healthy masculinity. Is it possible to define masculinity without relating it to femininity? Right. Um, that's a hard question. Um, it's a good question, though, because I'm thinking like when we associate something that I guess is deemed as healthy is also something that's already practiced usually by women. Right. Or so, healthy for men, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or like I think as a society, we think like women talk a lot and they can talk to each other a lot. And that's how like men are always labeling women. But when men don't talk enough to each other, then what happens? Depression, like a lot of other things that really can manifest to do harm to themselves or others. Yeah. And yeah. when I think it's more acceptable for women to go ask for help, seek counseling and stuff like that. I wonder if men get praised for appropriating what we label as feminine behaviors as healthy masculinity. We absolutely cannot have that be the process to move towards healthy masculinity. Like there's absolutely a problem when men get praised for doing basic, simple stuff like asking for help or trying to be intimate with ourselves and others or acknowledging that we have very restrictive notions of humanity or not catcalling somebody. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Those are very general and basic things that men get praised for at this point. The bar is so low that this process of healthy masculinity can't be adding what we would consider feminine traits to our behaviors because that's just, I don't know, human. I feel disingenuous if I don't label myself as a man. You know what I mean? The social justice brain in me says everyone should just use pronouns they, them, and theirs, or not he, him, or his, and not she, her, and hers. And that's a step towards disidentification and a step towards not labeling everything as masculine or feminine. And that's theoretically a step towards gen ending gender oppression. And so, but me labeling myself as he is an authentic process for me as it stands today. And that's where my brain and body are at odds. I think if we don't understand who gets to name that, then then that gets lost too. Like I think about if who, I'm thinking a bit about as someone that has done this before, as I get, I, as a white dude have like tried to label what femininity looks like for me. How does that expression look like? Yeah. So I think about how like, even I deem as me as like, I can cry more or I feel more comfortable talking about my feelings and my bullshit that's going on with my life, then I would probably deem that as a feminine and a healthy thing. But then it's only because I have the privilege to say that and Good, to, right? to name it and to give it a definition. Yeah. Even in our conversation of trying to define healthy masculinity, where we have control of what the definitions of femininity and masculinity are in the context of this conversation. And that right there is already an expression of toxic masculinity on our behalf. And so like, I feel like us as like the holders of this podcast, we need to come up with some level of what does healthy masculinity mean? So what can we do? 
So what we can do is I think where there are some strategies that we can use to really think about how mass healthy masculinities has to be an active process. Um, I think it really starts as a way of searching and uh, standing up for what is right. What do you think about that? Where are some ways that we can stand up and search for what is right? Well, I think we say search for what is right because right now the barometer for men at least of what is right and what is wrong is just off. A lot of us have lost sight of that. And so we have to kind of relearn what is right in the social justice sense versus what is wrong. Because I do think there's a lot of language adjustments that can be immediate and necessary rediscovering the difference between right and wrong has to be part of the healthy masculinity process. Yeah. And I think searching for that and then standing up for it is, I think, a really awesome and great process to go through. And I think with that thought of complacency in in masculinities is that I don't think men think that that is an, an important thing. What like searching for and under and trying to stand up for what is right. I think there's a lot of because we talked about how like complacency really works to uphold a lot of power. And so I think if I say, oh, I support you, but that's like not for me, then like then they're not searching for what is right. Or maybe they are in the process of searching for what is right, but they don't want to stand up for what is right. So I think like enacting silence and then pushing back on silence is super interesting within that, too. Do you know where I'm at with that? Yeah. Well, you said I was, I was trying hard to remember what you said uh, like two minutes ago because it sparked a, a thought in me. But I'm okay, cool. But I do think this sense of needing to speak out and stand up can also be sort of a healthy masculinity aspect. But healthy masculinities doesn't include just what you sort of externalize and show other people. Right. Another process that has to happen is internal as well. Yeah. So I think a really great tool to have is really knowing that you can be comfortable with yourself and basically almost stray away from, I guess, like the wolf pack, so to speak, with that men. Like I would do things only because Wait, my boys told me. Kind of, isn't there like, (laughs) yeah, because there's there's a lot of like masculinity (laughs) overtones with that. Is that like the care, even like in the movie, the characters will only do it because their boys think Mm -hmm. it's cool. Um, And I remember that was me for a while. Like I'd do things because I thought I didn't think I didn't even think they were that cool, but my friends did. Right. And so if I can be comfortable just being myself, then then we're almost going back to that ways of like feeling that that is a really healthy process. Um, I also think there's a really awesome resource for y'all to check out is uh, there's an author named Michael Kimmel. He's a scholar within masculinity studies, men's studies, and he's really awesome. And he has this concept in his book called Guideland, and it's uh, called gender policing and that men basically almost put other men in under a microscope and just they kind of watch each other and see how well they perform and so that's really interesting how it kind of almost is like mirroring this like wolf pack mentality yeah and i think gender policing is an important phrase to understand if we're going to work towards um, social justice and a better world for all genders because if you have the urge to say or think like that's not what men do or that's not women what women should be like that is in itself a form of gender policing you're trying to tell someone else or yourself what to do and what they can and can't do and the way that plays out today along gender lines at least is definitely a form of oppression yeah for sure one of the things i think that maybe we don't talk often enough as men in terms of expressing healthy masculinities is to really think about our sexuality i'm not saying in order to engage in healthy masculinity 
to like engage in different sexualities or other sexualities. If you identify as heterosexual and we do, there's a way I think that we've been talking about sex our whole lives that is super toxic. Like we never talk about how we feel and what we like and don't like about sex. A lot of the way I remember at least talking about sex is like get in, get off, get out, you know, totally hit that. And then whenever men talk about sex, there's like no expression of pleasure or desire or like connecting with somebody. And so I do think that talking about our sexuality is another great location to really engage in healthy masculinities. Yeah. And do you mean like talking with other men or talking about sex in general? Both. Okay. Um, I the way men talk to each other about sex, in my experience, does two things. It narrowly defines what men's roles are in sex, and then it narrowly defines what women's roles are in sex. Right. One is the subject and the other is the object. And everything that men say makes men the, the subject, right? Mm -hmm. We're driving what we want. There's almost no conversation about what our partner in the moment would want um, or that we owe them anything, that all of it is for us and for getting off. And so I do think there's a lot to be said there. And one of the things that I would really encourage in terms of sort of exploring is the how much homophobia specifically kind of hurts men's ability to feel and think about pleasure. One of the like most pleasurable sight on a man is their prostate, is our prostate. And homophobia actually prevents men from really exploring that. And that's one of those connections, very salient connections to me, where patriarchy and this concept of sexism really damages men is that it keeps us from experiencing pleasure. Right. And even the act of talking about sex, like in a way that like would be, I guess, healthier or like ways of talking about this is what I'm comfortable with and not comfortable with, or like this was like what gives me pleasure or this is how I give pleasure. Like I, I don't think I've ever had really a, a conversation with a man about that. And that's how I think homophobia really functions as well within it too. Yeah. And one of the things I think about is what if one of my, I'm not, I'm just giving an example. This isn't like my turn on, but like, right. I know that conversations have happened where one of the bigger turn ons is giving someone else pleasure, right? Like doing something for somebody else can also be a turn on for you. And so really thinking and breaking apart, like the ways in which men talk about sex and finding those safer spaces or building a comfort level with other men to really engage in like, not necessarily like what works for you, but maybe a little bit of like what works for you and what doesn't work for you. What have you tried? What haven't mm -hmm. you tried? Do you have any tips? What feels good? Like, I don't know if I've ever had a conversation around sex about what feels good. What's the difference between like this and that? Like, I just think there's a lot of richness there to be able to talk about sexuality in a way that isn't oppressive. And I do think being able to engage in some of that then you naturally have to talk about consent. You naturally have to talk about making sure that your partner's on the same page with you. And that just kind of continues to perpetuate a healthy sexuality, healthy masculinity life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's even really interesting because I, I have conversations sometimes with men about sex, but it's always like they only find out ways to talk about it through them talking about what their partner has come up with or ways to like gain trust and gain even like talk about consent. It's more of like, I asked my partner this or like my partner brought up this cool article that I was supposed to read. And mm -hmm. even that's like happened to me. Like my partner has been like, here, you should read this. You have to be more educated on it. Like, here you go. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Cause, Cause yeah. even, even feminizing some sexual acts, right? Like mm -hmm. 
I think it's generally understood that there's sensitive areas on women, but we don't necessarily translate the same sensitive areas to men, right? Like the neck or the ears or, um, I don't know, nipples, backs. I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> the point is if we limit ourselves, like the, the point of toxic masculinity is to limit our ability to express ourselves. And so anything you can kind of do to break out of this concept of limiting yourself also thinking about it in terms of sex, I think any level of expansion of who you want to be and can be is an expression of healthy masculinity. And it can be hard, but in the do you even lift bro sense of hard, right? right. Of course, being a woman in this country, being non-conforming, gender non-conforming in this country, fearing for your life and kind of living at sort of a survive the day level, that is hard for us right. men. We're talking about like exploring our bodies a little bit more, which isn't hard. <laughs> yeah. But- you know, that's why we create this space mm-hmm. so that we can talk about these kinds of right. what can be hard for men. For sure. Um, I almost think sometimes even that hard can almost like create the other hard. Does that make Say sense? More. Like if we're not, if men don't feel like they can express themselves to their like full self and f- feel like they're comfortable with themselves, then I feel like they c- create harm elsewhere. Absolutely. Um, so like if I am not like, talking to a counselor about how I'm doing or if I'm not anyone being, or any, yeah, anyone <laughs> it, for that matter, really any, but I was thinking about how I yeah, haven't sure. been going to counseling. Um, <laughs> and if I'm staying away from me feeling like I can express myself, then I'm going to maybe lash out in anger or like hurt some, I could hurt someone. I mean, I'm not, I really won't do that, but even that thinking about how my masculinity could end up that way is interesting and i think yeah that comes from a place of like yeah like not feeling like you can be yourself or and then i think yeah that creates those destructive things like we even see in the media and also in real life yeah so cool and that will do it for this episode of do you even live bro men exercising social justice if you have feedback thoughts comments questions or want to be interviewed for a podcast please email wgac at colostate.edu that's wgac at c-o-l-o-s-t-a-t-e dot edu huge shout out to the partnership between the women and gender advocacy center and kcsu here at colorado state university these are the folks that even allowed this podcast to happen for more content about masculinities check out men in the movement.blogspot.com and for more information about the wgac go to wgac.colostate.edu for more kcsu content go to kcsufm.com music production by xavier hadley aka zavley check him out at soundcloud.com slash xavier hadley that's x-a-v-i-e-r-h-a-d-l-e-y thanks for listening you all peace